Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Being so welcoming us to us today. It's been good to be with you so far and visit with you. Uh, I'm going to be in First uh, Peter chapter three in a moment, but first I want you to turn to Psalm chapter nineteen. Psalm nineteen. Psalm 19. Let me just read this for us. To the choir master, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their measuring line goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned in keeping them there is great reward who can discern his errors declare me innocent from hidden faults keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins let them not have dominion over me then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight O Lord my rock and my redeemer you pray with me Father, we just uh, come humbly before you on this this beautiful Lord's Day. And I, I pray right now that we would just take a moment to quiet our minds and our souls and to focus on what you would have to say to us through the power of your Spirit, through your Word. 
pray that you give me clarity of mind as I, as I preach today, Lord. That you and your gospel would be the center of everything that happens today in this service and in our hearts, Lord. I thank you that uh, you've given us such a beautiful word that you've spoken to us in such a beautiful way. And I pray that we would do honor to that today. And uh, that hearts and lives would be changed. We would not only hear and understand and have emotions move, Lord, but that you would continue your transforming work in our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, that was an interesting psalm. I want you to notice something about that before we move back to First Peter. Do you see what the psalmist did there? Do you see where he started in verses 1 through 6? Uh, he's talking about God making himself known, revealing himself through creation. And then beginning in verse 7, he, he moves to the law of the Lord and his testimony and his precepts and the fear of the Lord. Um, more about who God is internally. What the psalmist is doing here is, is he's reasoning with the reader. He's saying, look around you, look at creation. Paul does much of the same thing in the first chapter of Romans when he talks about how God reveals himself through creation. Sadly, he goes on to point out about how so much of, 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 of manhood has rejected God for who he is and the results of, of that. But he reasons here. Now, now turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to look at uh, verses 13 through 22. First Peter 3, beginning in verse 13. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer right for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense of to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile you, your good behavior in Christ, may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they had formerly, they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to Him. So, how do we live in a culture that's ever so slowly, but certainly turning against us as believers? Uh, I've, I've seen over the years as I've grown 
people say things. I don't know like what's happening to this country. We're turning away from God, and, and God's going to judge America. Those types of things, and they're, they're, they're very accurate statements. But it's one thing to observe that and to be frustrated by that, but how do we live as believers in a culture that is slowly turning away from God? Of course, we pray that, that God would cause our nation, the people of our nation, to repent of their sin and turn back to Him. But, but, but how do we live in that culture? I want us to think about that. I think this text addresses it. Uh, you know, in AD 60, about the time this was written, this culture had turned against Christians. Um, I would say to you that, that our culture is headed in that direction. My, our, our lead pastor in my church, Landon Dowden, recently took a trip to uh, England and spent some time in Wales. And what the pastors describe there is what they call a post-Christian culture. And what that means is not that there is absolutely no Christianity in that culture, but even where we live, the, the, uh, the effects of Christianity, you can still see them and feel them, even though we have a lot of battles going on with our government about, uh, within our government about uh, attacks on Christianity, losing some of our religious freedoms, those types of things. But the effect of Christianity is still very much here, and yet it seems as if it, it's going away, even in America. So what those pastors in England would say is that we're about 15 years behind where they are that we're headed toward a post-Christian culture. I don't know that we are, but it appears that we could be. It does. So how do we live in that? This text speaks to it. The first thing I want to point out to you that it says is to, uh, to be holy. To be holy. Our holiness provides the foundation for the proclamation of the hope that we have. Um, verses 15 through 17 speak to this. In your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Do it with gentleness and respect, having good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if it should be if that should be God's will, then for doing evil. If you look back at verse uh, uh, earlier in this chapter, uh, chapter 2, verses 9 through 17, what you're going to see is that uh, Peter talks about them being a chosen race, but if you look at verse 13 in particular, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governor's, as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. The emperor was Nero. The same Nero that, that at one point in time was, was setting Christians on fire and holding them up and using them for, for light. And yet Peter is saying to be subject to this human institution. Uh, to be holy. What Peter is getting at over and over here is to show respect so that no one, that the one reason that they have to bring something against you is the gospel. If you're going to suffer for something, it shouldn't be because of an unholy lifestyle. It should only be because of the gospel. That should be the only thing that someone should be able to, to hold against you. Be holy. A second thing that, that 
that Peter gives us here, and, and this is key. This is the central point, I would say, of, of this text is that hope, our hope is centered in the resurrection. Centered in the resurrection. If you're, you're in First Peter chapter 1, look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He has caused us, get that, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our hope is in this resurrection. Um, Verse 13 in chapter 1. If you skip down to that verse. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the already but not yet aspect of, of us as believers. We are in Christ. He is risen. Death and sin have been conquered. And yet, we eagerly await the return of Jesus Christ so that all of that will be consummated and our hope will be brought to, uh, to sight in that moment. Verse 21 of chapter 1. Who through Him are believers in God who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So what you see here is Peter over and over tying our hope to the resurrection. And if we have, if there is no resurrection, we have no hope. I hope that we all understand that today. So it's not that our hope comes from our holiness. It is that our holiness comes from our hope in that resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so, Paul, uh, Peter commands us to be holy here so that nothing can stand before us, can, can, can stand against us except the gospel. That's the only thing that's going to bring offense. And it is going to bring offense. Because we live in a world that's full of darkness. We live in a world where Satan, the Scripture tells us, uh, is roaring like a seek, uh, like a, is going about like a roaring lion, seeking, seeking whom he can devour. And, uh, so there, that is going to come against us uh, uh, when, we, when we preach the gospel. And then we see that all of our hope is centered in the resurrection. That is our hope. So what Paul tells us in light of that, excuse me, what Peter tells us in light of that is that this apologetics, this giving a defense, and when I say apologetics, when we hear the word apologize, we think uh, say I'm sorry or something like that. But that's really a, a, a pretty new meaning to that word in light of history. It came about in the probably the 19th century. But it's to give a defense for what you believe. To, to verbally give a defense for what you believe. It's the task of the whole church. And so this is kind of how I would define that. It's, it's a faithful defense through our words and our lives of the hope that is in Christ and as, as it has been revealed in His Word and His world. So we see that in, in, uh, back in chapter 3, verses uh, 13 through 22. I just want us to look at the... Um, uh, we see that again. But four things that happen when we defend the resurrection. When we defend it not just by our presence at a church service or by our presence in identifying with Christians, 
but defend the resurrection by verbally in our lifestyle saying, this is where my hope is. This is where my strength to live a holy life is drawn from. It's by the power of Christ through the resurrection. So, there are four things that, that happen when we defend the resurrection. One is that when we defend Christian practices, we preserve the free proclamation of the gospel. I'm going to turn, and you can if you like, Acts chapter 24. Acts chapter 24. And I hope through all of this we see how important it is today to, to, to verbally with our spoken words defend the gospel and the hope that's within us. So if you have Acts chapter 24, we're going to begin in verse 10. Uh, and I'm just going to read about seven verses here. And when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, and this, this is the governor Felix, knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem, and they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. So Paul is, uh, here in Acts, he's given a verbal defense of, of, of his Christian practicing to preserve the free proclamation of the gospel. To, to, to put before Felix that what these people are accusing me of, of, of stirring up trouble, I'm not stirring up trouble because what Paul was getting at was what he was being accused of was discrediting the Old Testament, what we know of as the Old Testament. And he said, no, I, I confirm the Old Testament, but the Old Testament points to Christ. And this resurrection is, is, is in Christ. So I want you to notice something. In, in our culture, we've moved from uh, fighting for freedom of, freedom of religion Lots of times the, the, the terminology that's used now is uh, freedom of religion is more of a, a public term. Freedom of religion, us to meet together. Now we use the term freedom of worship. Uh, in your personal home, you're allowed to worship as you choose to, those types of things. Uh, so when we do not verbally defend Christian practices, to defend the gospel, defend resurrection, um, we can lose the free proclamation of the gospel. Many of you may have heard about Mr. Phillips, the baker in Colorado. I don't know if you've heard about that case that just went before the Supreme Court. Uh, this is a perfect example of, of how our culture is slowly moving toward post-Christian uh, when he's not allowed to proclaim the gospel even through how he carries out his occupation in his daily life. I'm praying that that case goes the way that it really should be, the way that it should go. But um, that's just an example.
of how important it is for us uh, at the grassroots level, you might say, in our daily lives, uh, not just to say, I'm a member of Grace Community, uh, Community of Grace Church, but to verbalize what you believe, to verbalize that your only hope is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so, uh, so that's one thing. That's one thing. Uh, a second thing that happens is that when we defend Christian truth, we're calling unbelievers to faith in Jesus. Um, can we, even with our best oratory skills, can we, um, no matter how much we practice a gospel presentation, or no matter how much we care, or no matter how much we pray for the 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 for someone to come to Christ, for, for God to bring them into His flock, can we, with our best skills, break down walls in the human heart? Can we cause a person to be saved? No, we cannot. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. But make no mistake, the Holy Spirit uses us as the means to break down those walls, to call people to Christ, to, to, to proclaim that resurrection. And then, lastly, to, uh, to protect believers against heresy and error, I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. You didn't know we were doing Bible drill today. Did you? To protect believers against heresy and error. This, this is important why it's... it's, it's this is why it's important for us to speak Scripture to ourselves. You might say preach the gospel to yourself every day and to preach the gospel to one another, to remind one another, I'm so glad I'm saved by the grace of God. So, Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is any other one, but there are some who trouble you and who want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. He repeats itself. What does that say? This is important. I really mean this. For I am now seeking the approval of man. Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So, what Paul is getting at there is that we need to protect believers against heresy and error. We need to protect ourselves against that. And we need to understand that we are susceptible. Well, what are we talking about when we say heresy? Uh, a great example is the prosperity gospel of our day. Did you see so many people taking verses, single verses out of context and saying, this is scripture and trying to make God a puppet on a string. To convert it, that, that, that's a way of distorting scripture and error in scripture. And so we need to protect one another against that. So we talked about interacting with the world 
a lot today. We have. We, we talked in our first few minutes, and then we talked about it uh, in these few moments. So a couple of things that I want to say just as we move toward closing today. The first is that your defense of the gospel, your speaking of the gospel begins at home, in your home. Because if you're not speaking the gospel in home, in your home, then you're not going to be speaking in the world. Um, for too long, we've been too passive in our homes when it comes to equipping our children and equipping those other young ones who may be uh, their friends that come over and those types of things. This is something I want to get you to, to be challenged by, this thought. When your child is challenged with a tough theological question, like we talked about before today, the inerrancy of Scripture, or the why is there so much evil in the world? You hear that a lot. How could there be a good God and there be so much evil in the world? We don't, we don't have time to go into that, the answers to all of that today, but, but there's a great biblical answer to that. But when your child hears that question out in the world, it shouldn't be the first time they've heard that question or any of those challenging questions. And we should be equipping our children in our homes as to how the gospel answers those questions. Um, and also, let, let me ask you this today, and I just want this to be an introspective question for you. Is, is your holiness the cause for your hope? Are you, are you putting your hope in how holy you can be? Or is your hope the cause for your holiness? Because if your holiness is the cause for your hope, if, if how good you can act is where you're putting your hope, that's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. But if your hope is the cause for your holiness, you should proclaim that. And we should all realize that, that ever since Genesis 3, ever since Genesis 3 when... Uh, when Adam and Eve stepped into sin, and at the root of that was pride, we are susceptible to pride. We are susceptible to living as if our good works earn us some kind of righteousness with God. And that's why we need to remind ourselves every day of our own sinfulness and of the resurrection and of His power to overcome that sin. Reason alone will never bring anyone to saving faith in Christ. But saving faith always begins with reason. So we don't have an emotional faith that blindly uh, accepts something that somebody wrote in a book and we just uh, kind of hope so as in don't know if it's true. When we think about logically, when we think about the truths of Scripture, we have all the more reason to believe in and stand on the resurrection, the saving power of Jesus through His death and His burial and His resurrection. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for, uh, for the resurrection. Thank you for a death on the cross that was more than just a magnificent loving gesture, but a death on the cross that paid the penalty for my sins. 
and gave me the the opportunity to know God. Not just know about God, but to know Him. And so, Lord, I pray today that we would examine our own hearts and to, to, to ask ourselves, am I living as if I'm standing on my own holiness because I'm a good churchgoer or because I do good things for people, I live by the golden rule, I do this, that, whatever the standard is, Lord, are we standing on the resurrection of Christ and our hope in Him and drawing our holiness from that as the Spirit transforms our lives? Are we freely confessing our sin to you and to one another, Lord? So that the world would have no reason to hold anything against us except the gospel. And I pray, Lord, that as Peter has said in this passage, I pray that when we interact sometimes even in negative ways with people, that we would not desire to win arguments, that we would desire to see people come to know you, and that that, know that that will not happen through arguments, and that we would defend fervently the gospel, but we would do it with gentleness and respect, as you've just commanded us to through your word. And so today, Lord, during this time of response, I ask again that each one of us, you would help us, empower us to examine our own hearts, Lord. If there's unconfessed sin, or even if, if there's one here today that realizes they don't know you would, they, would you, would you break down those walls through your scripture that's been read, spoken, Lord? Would you do that for us and for that person, for your glory, for our good? In the name of Jesus. Amen.